0: We now get to turn in our study for at least the foreseeable future into the book of Romans, and I invite you to open to Romans chapter 12 and come to this wonderful passage where we left off at the end of November together. We pick up again and we're looking at verses 3 through 8. There's a question that I think is important for us to ask that kind of sets the stage for this particular text. The question is this, how would you know that you're using your grace gift, that spiritual gift that God has given you, in a God-honoring way? This particular text here exposes the sin that comes when we get an improper perspective of that grace gift given to us. By God's kindness, as he rescued us, as he called us out of darkness, as he brought us into his kingdom, as he made us a part of the church, what he has done for every individual that he has redeemed, that he has equipped them with a particular grace gift, an area or a way in which they would serve in the body of Christ to build up the body of Christ. That every part, every piece is useful for the kingdom and is useful for the body. There's no part of the body that is useless. And we all have different roles. We all have different purposes in the body of Christ, and we all function at different levels and different abilities, different usefulness in the body. But the problem is within the life of a ministry, especially a ministry that grows and matures, is that subtly... Pride creeps in. Pride and selfishness begins to creep in to the church. And before we know it, we start to demonstrate that pride and it begins to harm the church. We become tempted, tempted to try to make the church look like context or a place that we want. Sometimes this comes out of good motives, good intentions, we want to see certain gifts displayed, we want to see certain objectives reached, so we have good intentions, maybe even good motives, but we don't recognize the signs of spiritual pride that start to creep in. And I understand it from what takes place in the life of a church, we when you enter in a church, and maybe even the church had a particular usefulness in your spiritual life, and you are benefited by that, that you want to kind of keep the church at that stage. I chuckled to myself thinking about it as a parent. You know, in my mind, my kids are still those little toddlers running around that dad spoke, and they listened. And I controlled all the little details. And I sent them to bed at a particular time, and I sent them out to play at a particular time. And I managed all of that. And now my kids tower over me, and I have to look up at them, and, uh, and I recognize they're not what I remember them in my mind. The same thing happens in the church. The church, as it matures, as it grows, it's not what it was what that, at that particular season. It grows, it matures, it transforms, because God is moving and working among his people. Not temptation in our own hearts to try to control certain events. We don't recognize that what is happening in those moments is a form of pride that says, I've got the right assessment of the church or what should be happening here. I know what's going on. It's, I need to guard this and protect this. It's kind of a kind of spiritual cancer that operates and doesn't always get diagnosed properly. But this passage here in Romans twelve three through eight gives us a kind of diagnosis to help us see it. Let me just read it, it is what Paul says here in Romans twelve, three through eight. That's what he says. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy According to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, he who teaches in his teaching or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. Paul begins to instruct the church here is about a proper perspective for how the use of grace gifts operate in the body of Christ. And there's a kind of danger that happens that we begin to analyze the ministry through our particular grace gift. Everyone's measured against us. Everyone's measured against the usefulness of our gifts. And before you know it, pride creeps in. Self-exaltation happens. And the signs become evident when this is happening. How would you know when, when the grace gifts are improperly used or if run amok, how would we observe it? Well, it manifested in a few signs. There would be unteachable people, unwilling to respond and be taught from the scriptures. There would be outbursts of anger as you're opposed or even trying to control something, you get angry and pushed back at anyone opposing you. There would be an attempt to manipulate and political jockeying taking place because you want an influence, you want a voice, so you have to manipulate it by politically moving around. Or you might even have thoughts like this in your heart. Good thing the church has me, it has my gift here so that my gift can be used. If, if I wasn't here, then this church would be a mess. It wouldn't have this gift. It wouldn't be as teachable, it wouldn't be as merciful, it wouldn't be as kind, it wouldn't be as generous, it wouldn't be as profitable. This church needed my gift. All of these thoughts could easily creep up in the hearts. And Paul here in this section warns us of that. As he says there, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Everyone should be aware of the particular vulnerabilities they might have towards spiritual pride. And particularly, The pride that comes from spiritual usefulness, usefulness that is granted to us by the grace of God as we are redeemed in Christ and then put into the church. It's a warning that Paul gives in this text, and a warning that I think is particularly helpful for a ministry that is growing and maturing and is experiencing the manifold grace of God. Because the more the grace of God is lavished upon us, and the more that God supplies, as He supplies gifts to the body, the more temptation that arises in our hearts to take personal credit for that. As if somehow we caused it. As if we did this. We accomplished this. We made this happen. God is the one moving and directing and orchestrating all these things, but again, spiritual pride, creeps in. And it creeps in in this particular area. It's in the personal assessment of how we use our grace gifts in the body of Christ. And Paul is going to draw our attention to this. And help us to see the particular dangers in this. And I was just thinking about this in regards to to ministry. Again, as God has poured out his favor and kindness it becomes easier to believe that uh, particular gifts are essential for the operation of the church. And before you know it, as a church moves along, you might be tempted to think. And anyone and every one of us would be tempted to think if we didn't have this person or this gift, the church is going to fall apart. There's only one indispensable gift to the church, and that is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. The head of the church who always moves, always directs, always accomplishing his good purposes. The church finds its identity and life from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me just set up again this context, what Paul is doing here. Really, in this flow of thought, verses 3 through 8 is a continuation of what Paul has stated in in verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2, Paul laid out a series of principles and ways in which we could glorify God. And we we ought to be practicing to bring God glory. And then continuation of that is from verse 3 through 8 is a continuation so that we could add it as another principle that Paul is basically teaching us this. A God-glorifying life is manifested in humble service towards one another. That's, in essence, what Paul is teaching in verses 3 through 8. You want to glorify God in your life, then humbly serve the body of Christ. What? That gift, that grace that God has given you in your life, which we're going to see more plainly when we look at verses 6 through 8, that whatever that grace gift God has given to you, humbly use it for the service of the body of Christ. This brings glory to God. That, in essence, is the grand lesson that Paul is teaching here. But as Paul says that, he gives us so much more in verses 3 through 8 that I have separated out into another series just to focus primarily on what he is teaching us here about grace gifts, about spiritual gifts. Just a quick little review. What we have seen thus far at the beginning of verse 3 is the pastoral protection That's what he says there in verse three, for though the grace or for through the grace given to me, I say to every one of you. What he is saying there is because of the background, the call of ministry have as an apostle by this calling into this privileged position, I am speaking to you. So he he gives us a warning and exhortation here that is to get our attention. And then he draws our attention in verse 3 to the problem of pride and what that would look like. And then lastly, we saw last time we were together, the proper perspective. And it's that I want to keep building upon. What, do we, what kind of perspective ought we to have about our spiritual gifts or about our grace gifts and their operation in the body of Christ? That's what Paul is drawing our attention to. And this is absolutely critical today for a few reasons. It's critical because one we live in a day and age that has lifted up spiritual gifts to an unbiblical expectation. Meaning it is as if we are to run around looking for the charismatic signs so that we would truly demonstrate the spirit's work among us. We need healings, we need uh, gifts of prophecy, we need to, in whatever the spiritual sign that uh, they're looking for, they've elevated these gifts to such a degree that the church is now distracted, running after these expressions of the Spirit, and they have moved away from, the again, the clarity, simplicity of the truth. So there's, in one sense, that reason why we ought to pay attention to what Paul is saying in this text but the other is because of the destructive practice that comes when we have identified our gift, we are using it, the effects it would have when pride wells up in the hearts. That's what Paul addresses in this context. And then before I give you kind of the principles here, and we'll, we'll see a couple today and then we'll look at the other two next week. Before we do that, I just want to give you kind of a New Testament Understanding of grace gifts. And I like the term grace gifts more than spiritual gifts. One, because the term spiritual gift uh, used today is, uh, has its own language among people today that uh, begins to, again, run after the sign gifts. So they're running after healings and prophecy and miracles and everything else, speaking in tongues. And so when we think about spiritual gifts, they tend to run towards that. But the New Testament has a lot more to say about this. So let me just point out a few passages, what the scriptures say in the New Testament about gifts, and then draw some conclusions for us before we look at this text. First of all, notice here in Romans 12, <clears throat> two passages, verse 3 and verse 6, something I want you to recognize. First of all, <clears throat> he says in verse 3 that each one of us, every mo- everyone among you, not to, have, not to think of himself more highly and he ought to think, but to have sound judgment, why? Because God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So one of the first principles laid out here in verse 3, it is God giving to each one according to his measure. And then jump down to verse 6. He says this in verse 6, Since we have gifts that differ according, notice, to the grace given to us. So he uses the word gifts there, that word is charisma, and it literally means grace gift. It is coming by the measure of God's grace, and he says that in verse 6, this is according to the grace given to us. So the first principle we can observe is this, God has given to each one of us, according to the measure that he has determined, by his grace, a gift. It's given us something according to the measure of his grace now turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 you see the next context in which the new testament speaks of gifts given 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we are looking at verses 4 through 11 here and in this context Paul also speaks about gifts and now he speaks about gifts from the spirit notice what he says verse 4 Now, there are a variety of gifts, same word, charisma, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for, notice, the common good. And he goes on and describes from verse 8 and 9 the various gifts. And then I want to jump down to verse 11. But the one and the same Spirit who works all these things distributes to each one individually just as he wills. What is he saying? We have one God, God who gives to his church as he wills for the purpose of benefiting the church. What kind of gifts? Well, he describes them in verses 8 through 10. It's the word of wisdom. It's the word of knowledge. It's faith. It's the gift of healing. It's the performing of miracles, verse 10. It's the performing of prophecy. It's the distinguishing of spirits. It's the speaking in tongues. All of these, these particular spiritual gifts are given by the Spirit according to God's design the building up of others. The next passage, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we see another expression of charisma, the gifts given, in Ephesians 4 and verse 7 and 11. Now, notice even in this passage a distinction. Paul says there in verse 7, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure, notice, of Christ's charisma, Christ's gifts. So now we have in 1 Corinthians 12... In verse 11, it is the Spirit distributing gifts. Here in Ephesians 4, it is Christ giving a gift. What is He given? Jump down to verse 11. He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. So this is now Christ giving to the church particular spiritual leaders to help build up and protect the church. Now, one more passage. And then we'll draw some conclusions or observations. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, our scripture reading this morning, verse 10 and 11. What I'm pointing out to you is the New Testament use of the word charisma, gift, and understanding what exactly is being stated in those contexts. <clears throat> 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, notice what Peter says. It says, and as each one has received a special gift, charisma, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of, of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Now notice what Peter does here. He first of all says, "This is a grace-supplied gift." Verse ten: Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Where does this gift come from? It comes from God's grace, and we are to sur- we are to use His grace as good stewards. And then notice as Peter addresses it, he doesn't sit sits down and lists all the spiritual gifts, he sits down and gives us two categories. There are service gifts, and there are speaking gifts. Whoever speaks, whoever serves. So he gives us categories. All right, so looking at those passages, let me just give you a kind of a biblical New Testament perspective of spiritual gifts. You can turn back to Romans 12 as I do this, but there are a few lessons that we just operate by uh, as we come to this particular text, first of all, it's this. We recognize that all gifts given to the body are given based on God's sovereign prerogative. He gives. I mean, we live in a day and age where someone says, you know, that uh, if you don't have the gift of tongues, we'll teach you how to get it. You just come up and uh, operate with us and spend some time with us and we will walk you through the formula of how you're going to gain this particular gift. And I say, how in the world is that possible? If it comes from God, if he distributes it, if we're to manifest it as a steward of his grace, if he pours it out, then how is it that I can learn it? How is it that I have to go out and gain it by following some practice? You've This first Principle is given to the church as a result of God's sovereign prerogative. He determines who to give it to, the measure in which he gives it. That's what he says there in Romans 12 and verse 3. Allotted to each a measure of faith. That faith manifested manifests the grace gifts. So it's, this is by God's sovereign prerogative. Secondly, as a principle here... These gifts given are expressions of his grace. That's why I like the term grace gifts better. Yeah, they are certainly the spirit gives, but it's also Christ gives. It is a gift that comes of God's grace. If we're going to talk about usefulness in the body, instead of using the term spiritual gift because of the confusion today, let's just get to the biblical language, grace gift. What is it that God in his gracious demonstration what has he given to you to use for the church to build up and to edify the church as expression of his grace it's unmerited i love the idea as a grace gift because it is unmerited we didn't earn it it's not by some promise within us he pours this out by his gracious outpouring upon the church thirdly as a kind of principle laying down a proper perspective of spiritual gifts we could say this these are given to us for the corporate use, not for personal use. It's not for personal, personal edification, but for corporate transformation. We are to use these gifts as stewards. Again, that's taking that language from 1 Peter 4. And another observation, if we were to fully study this out, Some of these gifts are temporary, and some of these gifts remain permanent in the church age. I think you could go make the case through 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, that those gifts laid out in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, were temporary gifts for a period of time as the establishing of the church. But then you have permanent gifts that operate during the church age, and. We could wrestle with that down the road somewhere, but if you wanted to uh, study, you can go and listen to Pastor Eric's teaching through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 4 through 11, and into chapter 13, because chapter 13 demonstrates this truth, that these gifts were temporary for the establishing of the church. Fifthly, what we'd recognize again, and here's just by simple observation through the passages I read No New Testament passage is exhaustive in explaining all of the grace gifts. Look, even Peter just gives us two categories serving gift, speaking gift. Here in Romans 12, Paul gives us a series of gifts here in in Romans 12, speaking of prophecy, uh, serving, teaching, exhortation, uh, giving, leading, mercy. There's no overlap in all the passages. So there's no one New Testament passage that exhaustively lays out all the gifts. And then lastly, as an observation, each one of us has a gift. So none of us operate in such a way that we're just a taker. We are all called to receive and to give. We all have a function within the body to operate. So that sets us up. That kind of reminds us, all right, there are gifts. There are gifts operating in the church The question that this text begs of us is this. What is the proper perspective that we ought to have towards these spiritual or grace gifts? And there are four here, four principles. And as I said, I'll give you two today and two next week. The principles are these. When spiritual gifts are properly exercised, they produce humility, not pride. And secondly, when grace gifts are given, they are given for the benefit of the whole, not the individual. And these grace gifts are given to the body, they're given for the benefit of the whole body, not the individual. And then lastly, or thirdly, we should expect a diversity of gifts exercised in the body in a complementary way. We should expect there would be diversity but operating in a harmony and unity in the body. And then lastly, each gift must function according to its design. You cannot misuse uh, the grace gifts. So let's look at these first two. First, when spiritual gifts are properly exercised, they produce humility, not pride. And again, we're building this off of verse 3 as, he, as Paul gives this warning for through the grace given to me, I say to, you, say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Literally that phrase, to think more highly of himself, is to think in a self-exalting way. To lift oneself up. Now think about this. You say, well, I don't have that temptation. Well, let's assume that God had given to you the gift of being an apostle. You think that that wouldn't come with a measure of temptation? Apostle Mark is here. Let me share with you. Let me speak from my wisdom. As God has given me prophecy, I'm here to share with you. You don't think that that would tempt somebody to think highly of himself. Certainly would. Tempted to think highly of you had the gift of prophecy. Even if you had the gift of healing, you don't think that that would be a temptation to think highly of yourself? certainly would i know i would this is why god hasn't given it to me because if god had given me the gift of healing i would be calling the news to say guess what i'm about to go to the hospital you're going to want to come see this and then i would walk through the hospital you're healed you're healed you're healed and move right on down the line send them all home healed preach the gospel in the process but there would be great temptation in my own heart for exaltation Paul says here, every one of us, to think in such a way that you're not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. There is a temptation that comes when given grace gifts that we begin to think that this gift is essential, necessary. So important that the church could not survive without it since you're all lucky this gift is here. That's the temptation. And notice in verse three that Paul makes it clear here, I say to every one among you. He doesn't say, Well, I say to those who have the speaking gifts. Or, nor does he narrow it to just the serving gifts. He says it to everyone. The older translations of the New American Standard as this, as I say to every man among you, I like the uh, ESV version. I say to everyone among you. The updated version also emphasizes that here. This is the universal temptation that everyone faces. Everyone faces the temptation of elevating their own particular grace gift to think this is essential for the body. And you say, "Well, not me. Well let me give you some signs of what it might look like if it was happening. Maybe you have thought to yourself something like this. My gift wasn't here. This church wouldn't be as strong as it is. Or maybe you have thought, we need more gifts like mine here. More servants, more preachers, more with mercy, more who have this, whatever the gift you have expressed. But negatively, one might think that something like this. Well, until they ask, I'm not going to use my gift. Until someone comes and asks me, I'm just going to hold on to it here. This would be a temptation for spiritual pride as if it's mine and I will just distribute it only when it's properly recognized. You might see a wrong assessment like this complaining That either your gift is not recognized for what it is, or complaining that no one matches how you have used that gift. If You're really great at serving. Temptation would be something like this in service. Well, nobody can serve as well as I do, so I'll just do it all myself. So that I can guarantee it's done in a right way because I did it. These are, again, forms of thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Other ways that would come out would be ingratitude. You can't give thanks for what God is doing in and through others. You can't give thanks that God has used somebody else or that what he's accomplishing in, in the ministry. Or even anger and irritability. You have to control an event and control the response. So there's anger and irritability in response. Demanding prominence. Desiring prominence. Again, a lot of these things would be motives in the heart that we might not be able to see express, But internally, you know when these things are operating. How do you view yourself and your gifts? What we need to understand is the principle that Paul is laying out here. When we have been given a grace gift and it is operating in a healthy way among the body of Christ, it produces humility, not pride. We appreciate what God is doing in and through others and what he's accomplishing. Notice as Paul continued here in verse 3, but to think as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith, we're not isolated. So the kind of proper perspective here is the realization that my gift as it is operating is operating in harmony with the rest of the body. It's harmony with everyone else. This is proper perspective. Again, we are tempted to become proud in our grace gift and to view ourselves in an exalted way. And it's just common to man. Corinthians operated this way as they picked their favorite teachers. You know, I'm of a Paul, I'm of a Paulus. It's just vulnerability in our hearts to elevate certain gifts, certain abilities. And the more I believe that a church succeeds, the more that God's grace is upon a particular ministry, the more that ministry is tempted towards pride because we love the effects, the spiritual effects that are taking place. Before we know it, we become vulnerable. We're saying to one another, well, he's no Spurgeon. My Sunday school teacher is better than your Sunday school teacher. My church gives more to missions than your church gives to missions. Oh, you should have had a pastor like mine. My pastor preaches with the voice of Whitfield, And he has the intellect of Calvin and the wit of Spurgeon and the convictions and values of Athanasius. And in fact, if you put my pastor before the devil, he would convert the devil if the devil would listen to him. (laughs) We have the temptation of taking particular spiritual gifts and elevating them up and viewing them in such a way that these must be indispensable the in ministry. And the reality is we should be aware that no, these are for the purpose of producing humility, producing lowliness, because it's God who has supplied this. At the end of verse 3, God has allotted to each A measure of faith. We use our gifts in such a way that demonstrates that it is the source of them is from God. Produces it. So that within the context of the ministry, we view one another in that sense. Your usefulness, it came from God. Your effectiveness in our body, that's from God. Your desire to serve, your desire to teach, your desire to express it, that's from God. And I cultivate it and long for it to be expressed. And I give thanks to God that he supplied. And I rejoice in the fruit that comes out of it because he is supplying. And I love to serve. I love to teach. I love to express my, express my gift. Realizing it is for the benefit of others, not for myself. It produces humility. Paul, in this particular context it's interesting that he's drawing our attention to our individual perspectives of ourself. So this isn't analysis of others. His focus is here is each one must examine himself and not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. This is personal evaluation that Paul is calling our attention to here. But I also recognize this by implication as I was thinking through this passage. This also implies how we view other ministries. Well, again, like I said, your church doesn't have the gifts our church has, and your church doesn't have this uh, serving gift or this teaching gift like our church has, so our church must be better in this particular way. Paul's exhortation here, no, we ought not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We ought to be careful so much more to say, really. I, but I, we need to look at the second principle real quick. The second principle is this. Grace gifts are for the benefit of the whole, not the individual. A grace gifts given are for the benefit of the whole body and not the individual. And he continues in that from verse 4 and following. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function... So we, have, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Whatever the grace gift given to us has been given for the whole body and there's uniqueness in this body, diversity. We didn't receive this gift for our own personal edification. We didn't receive it for our own individual exaltation. We received it for the usefulness of being part of the the verse, body of Christ, as he stated there in verse 4, all the members do not have the same function. We're not the same. i rejoice not rejoicing that. Think about the difference in the body. You know, this, uh, the harmony that operates within the body. And how bizarre it would be if you took one part of the body and separated it from the whole. I mean, I would be terrified if I just saw a leg hopping down the street, disconnected from the body. I mean that's the things of my nightmares to be running away from it's it's bizarre it is scary it is unnatural the same thing in regards to the spiritual gifts the spiritual gifts operating disconnected from the body is bizarre strange and unnatural we are again in verse 4 and 5 here many members one body not having the same function we are strengthening and helping one another by our operation together. The parts are interconnected, and there, the emphasis primarily I want to make here is this: that you exercise, we exercise our grace gifts for the benefit of others. Now we should primarily be looking at it. It's not for myself. For my own good, my own benefit is for you, for your good, for your benefit, for your exaltation, for your usefulness. And again, I was thinking about the hands in the body. A hand is so useful. I do so much with a hand, I can write it. But my, I can write with it, I feed myself, I wash my hair, everything with this hand. And yet this hand is Useless. Without an arm, and without an elbow, and without a shoulder, without all the other parts of the body to help operate by. Same thing in the body of in the spiritual sense here. Yeah, you might have a great teacher who can communicate the word of God effectively, but if that great teacher communicating the word of God effectively, it doesn't have people helping to make an environment safe and secure and comfortable to sit in. Nobody's listening. You don't have the servants helping set up. You don't have the other gifts operating. And trust me, in a ministry that preaches with clarity from the scriptures, we need a whole lot of people who exercise mercy. That doesn't always come from the pulpit, as it ought. And trust me, we need the demonstrations of God's outpouring of love and affection manifested in the body. So we come to this point in this Second observation, what is a proper perspective of spiritual gifts? The first perspective is it should be producing humility, not pride. And If it's producing pride, then I don't have a right perspective of my gift. Second law of all, I should recognize this gift isn't for me, it's for everyone else. Whatever it is that I have been given, whatever it is that you have been given, it is for the benefit of others, it should be used. And I'm thankful for that. The Lord does that in the ministry, uses our gifts to build up and to strengthen one another. When we come back next week, we'll expand on this a little bit more and see the two more perspectives needed. We should, again, be warned of this. The unique temptation that all of us may have to see our gift as indispensable and to believe that somehow that our gift uh, is uh, elevated to such a level that the church would be harmed without it. No, it should be—it's a joy to use this gift to build you up, to strengthen you, and to recognize the many different ways in which the Lord works. We need one another corporately, exercising our gifts for the building up of the body. And we'll see more of that next week.